3: It is indeed, and you need to push that button for me, get that on your way out the door. Thank you very much, good sir. Six minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a Thursday, the eighth morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2021, coming up on the program, a very special treat for you as we continue to cover the um, dogfight, man. I hate to use that phraseology, Uh, not really Michael Vick, but uh, it's a dogfight, proverbially speaking, anyway. Uh, or figuratively speaking, uh, for the Rob Portman Senate seat. We've been talking to Mike Gibbons. We've been talking to Josh Mandel. Uh, I talked to Jane Timken, and today I'm going to talk for the first time to, as a candidate, we did talk to uh, J.D. Vance uh, about a month and a half ago or so before he became an announced candidate for the Senate seat, but he is official now. In fact, one week ago today he made it official. J.D. Vance will join me at 935 to talk about this race, talk about his candidacy, talk about his past... Uh, Uh, opposition to Donald Trump, and in fact, some pretty harsh things that he said about Donald Trump back in 2016, find out where uh, his loyalties lie now as it pertains to the de facto leader of the uh, Republican Party for which he wants to serve in the uh, United States Senate. So J.D. Vance, coming up. Author of, uh, of course, the best-selling "Hillbilly Elegy." He'll be with me at nine thirty-five. Then at ten ten, you know what happens on Thursdays. Doctor Everett Piper happens on Thursdays, and Doctor Piper is—he's—he's he's of a mood today. I can tell you that just by our, you know, pre-show conversations. Um, he's not happy about several things that are in the news right now. And he is going to let us have it. Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way, in so far as he's going to rant at us over it, but he's going to offer some extraordinarily important perspective on some of the news of the day, including the agenda that is now out in your face. Emphasis on out and emphasis on in your face. This is a, a very, very interesting and disturbing. Uh, video that uh, Dr. Piper is going to comment on. That's all I can do. I'm going to tease you with that. There's a video that he's going to comment on at 1010 that you're not going to want to miss. So J.D. Vance at 935, Dr. Everett Piper at 1010. Before those interviews, between those interviews, and after those interviews, that's where you come in. 216 or 888 1110. Either one of those numbers will get you here. And don't forget, when you can't get on the air live, leave us a message on the authority message line. 216 216- 525-1806 And now, before we do anything else What do you say we start with our Pledge of Allegiance As we always do on this program Patriots, stand, put your hand on your heart Face your flag if you have one Liberals, go ahead and take your knee and grumble under your breath About how horrible this country is
0: I pledge allegiance To the flag Of the United States of America And to the republic For which it stands One nation Under God Indivisible, with liberty
3: and justice for all. I want to go into the schools to start uh, the day today. Uh, A couple of days ago, I got a phone call uh, from a Beachwood resident and activist uh, named Mikhail, who's a very, very good guy. I see him at a lot of the events at which I speak and the other places that I attend. Uh, And he called to remind me, to remind everybody, something that I am going to remind you about on a regular basis that it's time to take back the school boards. And if not take back, because maybe we've never had it, it's time to take over your district's school boards. I'm telling you, we have to make this a full-on campaign Because things are getting worse, not better, when it comes to the indoctrination of your kids. It used to be you didn't have to worry about indoctrination until they got to college. And you just hoped that as you raised them from birth to age 18 and sent them off, that what you raised them on would hold over and see them through the indoctrination of the far-left professor's campuses organizations activists and so on and so forth that pull and ruin so many good kids from really good families and i've seen it happen i can't tell you how many times i've read about it i've talked to people who have experienced it their kids get destroyed when they go to college They're raised with the right proper family values. Nobody's perfect because no family is perfect. No kid is perfect. But they're raised the right way, and all of it is erased after a semester or two uh, in the full indoctrination centers of college campuses. Used to be we could spend our K through 12 years preparing them for that on how to deal with that. But now we can't because the indoctrination begins in K through 12. And as I say, it's getting worse, not better. How many seats are open in your district on the school board this coming fall? You tell me. If you don't know, that's a problem. You need to find out. As Mikhail told me, literally, there are five school board seats on every board in every district in the state of Ohio. Five seats. And every odd year, and this is an odd year, 2021, at least two, sometimes three, sometimes four, if somebody is not just termed out but, you know, whose seat is not up for, for uh, re-election or they, because they just resigned or they leave, sometimes four seats are available. As we watch the indoctrination by way of critical race theory, which is Marxist theory, pure and simple, And the trans and LGBTQ agenda looking to ruin girls' sports and looking to put boys and girls together in the same locker rooms and changing rooms and shower rooms and all the other things. And the extreme sex education, which is not about here's how not to get an STD and here's how not to get pregnant, but actually teaching kids how to get together, and encouraging them and letting them know that it's okay for them to be sexually active at age 11. With all of these things going on inside of our schools, I have been doing what a lot of people have been doing, and that is saying get to the school board meetings. And we're seeing a lot of it. We're seeing videos of it. Jonathan Broadbent with uh, Protect Ohio's Children has been leading Uh, by example, he himself, he has spoken to countless numbers of school boards all over Northeast Ohio whenever they have public comment. Others with Ohio Value Voters and other organizations are doing the same. They're, they're, They're flocking to school board meetings to testify against critical race theory, against the indoctrination of their kids, against the divisiveness, against all of it. And it's great while it's going on. Because during the school board meeting, they're making great points, they're being heard, sometimes they're being cheered, they're being respected by the board members in most cases, and then their time is up, and then they've got to stop talking, and then it's up to somebody else. And then at the end of the day, the school board meeting ends, and then the school board goes off and continues to do exactly what they've been doing, which is greenlighting the teachers' unions running the full curriculum, uh, curricula at uh, the, the local schools doing nothing about what the parents complained about, nothing that the, the parents uh, wanted to alert them and sound the alarm about. So it's great to flock to the school board meetings, as I and many others have advised. But it's better to hold the school board meetings as a member of the school board, where you are you can actually have an, an impact, take action against this stuff. It is up to you, not someone else. Not joking here now. You maybe have thought to yourself, I've never thought about running for office, and we're not talking about running for mayor of your city. We're not talking about running for even for city council. But this is an office that is a true service to the community because it's a service to your children and all of our children. You I don't care if you're a housewife or a house husband. I don't care if you work in industry. I don't care if you work in an office. I don't care if you work in a in a on a on a uh, an assembly line or in a food line. If you have concerns about what your children and the children in your communities uh, schools are being taught, then you need to have a say in what they're being taught. You need to get on the school board. Normally, these are very very low turnout votes. And only a handful of votes, really, relatively speaking, are needed to get on a school board in most districts. Now, that may change in the coming, you know, in in the moment, actually, I guess, because so many of us are talking about this. But taking back the school board is the only way to challenge the far-left indoctrinators at the NEA, the National Educators Association, and the administrators in various schools often also far left. So it's up to you to answer this question. How many seats are open in your district this particular year? And then decide who is best to fill that seat. The person in it now that's allowing all of this? Another far left person just like them that's going to spring Marxism and anti-capitalism and anti-white racism into the schools? Is that the best person to fill that spot? Or maybe it should be you. If it comes down to you or some lib promoting critical race theory in single-sex locker rooms and shower rooms and sports teams, shouldn't it be you? Now, I bring all of that up for obvious reasons because we are losing control of our schools, and as such, we are losing control of our kids. The teachers' union president... The largest teachers union president, the, uh, actually, this is the second large, largest. The NEA is the National Education Association. The second largest is the AFT, the American Federation of Teachers. Randy Weingarten is the president of the AFT, and she shared an article this week from the Washington Post that falsely stated what opponents of critical race theory want. That's people like you and me. While captioning the article, Weingarten wrote, incredibly important piece, about why these bans on teaching history and discussing racism in the classroom are so dangerous. Our students deserve to have the freedom to learn and discuss this in school. The statement is completely, objectively false because opponents of critical race theory, including the states that have banned the teaching of it in public schools, like Florida, there have been about eight states that have done so already, have not attempted to ban the teaching of American history, including the, the the scourge of slavery, or Jim Crow era, or pre civil rights era, or you know, any of the, the sorts of things that of course any great nation works to overcome in the evolution of of the nation. Nobody has ever said we shouldn't teach those things. We do. We always have. I learned about the Civil War, and I learned about what caused it, and I learned about slavery, and I learned about civil rights, and all these things in school. And so so. so is pretty much every other kid. Nobody's saying don't teach those things. We are saying that you cannot bring Marxist critical race theory into a school teaching all people of light colored skin that they're oppressive and evil and must change the way they live and act and speak, and that every person who is of darker skin is a victim who's going to always be oppressed by those lighter skinned people in their classrooms and then in their workrooms and so forth. The only thing that we oppose. Is the teaching that America is irredeemably racist, and that racism is so embedded in all aspects of American culture by white people in whom it lives, that all people of color will always be oppressed by white oppressors? That is not healthy. It's not accurate. It's just not true. So that was from what that's what the AFT uh, President Randy Weingarten tried to present. And then we get to the NEA, the National Education Association, which had argued that they are absolutely in the right to determine what curriculum. They say they, and only they, will decide the curriculum on what is being taught to your children. The political left Embodied by the largest teachers union, the NEA, wants critical race theory in every school district in the nation. Over the weekend, they held their representative assembly with delegates from across the United States voting on priorities and allocating funding for the upcoming school year. With the ideology of critical race theory taking center stage. This is what they have stated that they want. They believe that critical race theory is the only way to make everything equitable. And remember, it's all about uh, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion now in leftist America, which, by the way, in no way, shape, or form resembles America. Leftist America is a different place. So this is what they said over the weekend, what the NEA said uh, in their big, massive national conference, right? Now, fast forward to today, actually yesterday. The Epic Times reporting that the largest teachers' union, the NEA, that just literally over the weekend made it very clear that they want critical race theory to be a centerpiece of the education and the curriculum in schools across this country, has quietly removed the pro critical race theory agenda items from their website. Have they seen the light? Just a few days after demanding that critical race theory dominate the curricula in schools, had they seen the light? The NEA took down all of their pro-critical race theory agenda items from the website. Maybe we've won. Except for the fact that you have to know these people. They're not dumb. They're not particularly smart either, but they're not dumb. When they take this off of the website, it doesn't reflect a change in policy or ideology or belief. When they take this down off the website, it's to make you think that they have given up on it, to make you forget all about it, and then, without anyone watching, to quietly go about instituting it in their classrooms. And how? Because parents aren't allowed to know what's going on inside the classrooms. Which will bring me to the fourth element of this after the time out here. Cameras in classrooms. I'll talk about that right after this on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, 926, I was uh, going to dive into the cameras in school issue, cameras in every classroom issue. But I see a uh, note on my call screen that says uh, I've got a very special phone caller. He's a special phone caller to me because I was privileged enough to hear his talk at the uh, Bringing America Back to Life uh, conference uh, back in February. Was it February? Has it been that long now? And uh, I certainly have a great deal of respect for him. He is the headmaster at the Lyceum. Luke Masick is on the line, so I want to bring him on now uh, since we've got a guest coming up at 935. Mr. Masick, good morning. Good to talk to you. How are you?
1: Good morning. I'm well, and yourself? It's I'm great. Good to talk to you. Yeah, it was great. great to
3: see your name pop up here on the board. I, I think you tried to well, call I, in once I... before, and we, uh, we didn't get a chance to connect, so I'm glad to, uh, I'm glad to have you on the air.
1: It's 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 great to be here. I was listening to your conversation, uh, and and of course, you know, when people can join those school boards and try to have some impact and 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 uh, put a put a stop to all of the nonsense going on, I think that's a great thing. But I think the other avenue they need to look at are the networks of classical schools that are cropping up throughout the country. Um, it's a it's a kind of educational model that, in fact, educated the founders of our nation themselves, and and so there's lots of schools. Don't get government funding that are returning to that model, and I think it's going to be essential uh, for the well-being of our children and for our, our nation as a whole.
3: Yeah, I completely agree, and I know that the Lyceum is exactly what you just described as a classical uh, education school. Um, but you know, a lot of people just can't pay that. This is why it's been such a big issue, uh, you know, in in uh, congressional races. Who is for school choice and who is not? I I firmly believe that every child that has money allocated to educate that child uh, by way of tax dollars in public schools, if those public schools are underserving these kids, parents ought to have the right to take those dollars and follow. Of the child and put them in a school, whether it be a charter school or a classical school or any other.
1: Yeah, I know. You know, one of the things, though, there's a lot of government money going out the door to parents right now and uh, uh, for their children, and it's an easy way to uh, fund an education. Most of these schools, like ours, like the Lyceum, uh, while we have uh, tuition, we try to make it available for anyone who wants to come regardless of what they can pay. And that's why we, you know, we raise money from private benefactors, and that's the way a lot of these schools operate. So I, I, people shouldn't shy away if they're interested in, in looking at a classical school to say, hey, what can you do for me? Can we make this work? Yeah, uh, that, that, a that's, great, that's a
3: great point. That's a great point. It's great advice. And I hope parents do that seriously because you know what? People are, people are getting to the point where they're like, I can't trust anything. I can't, I can't put my kid where I want to put my kid. I can't afford it. Can I homeschool? Homeschooling is on the rise as well. So, you know, whatever options are available out there, if a school like the Lyceum or any other private school can, can find ways to make it work financially for parents, I agree. You know, we got to try to fix the public schools, but while that fix is going on, uh, you know, if this is a uh, you know of, of a time-sensitive matter, and your kids are on their way into high school, for example, or even in uh, some of the lower grades, this is this is the time to look, right?
1: Absolutely. And and the alternative, what these schools are doing is they're is they're going back. You know, I know people say, "Oh, it's just the critical race theory," but the problem is more serious than that. I mean, we we have so focused simply, right, on mathematics, technology, and engineering, that we've left off a whole side of education that the Founding Fathers had, and it enabled them to produce this nation, and that's a, that's a study into the classics, into Latin, into Greek, into all of the, the great authors who formed what we call Western civilization, going back to the Greeks through the Romans, through the medieval times, and that's all being, that was left behind long ago with John Dewey, as you recall in, in hearing my talk, right? He kind of ruined... American education, and uh, he's the father of American education, and it's so interesting to me as I looked into him, is he's the guy that the Bolsheviks were interested in. They translated lots <laughs> of his work, right, in, into Russian so that they could use it to do exactly what we've done, and we've made education only utilitarian. You get an education to get a job. We've got to look beyond that. We've got to look to say you get education to get to the truth right truth goodness and beauty those are the things that make education that make the man Amen. and then right when you when you get those things then when you go into the culture right for whatever uh, you know profession or whatever job you're going to do you're going to bring with you right a whole vision that's going to change the world
3: luke that's such great important information very well stated we're going to have to have you back on as a scheduled guest so we can talk more in depth about these things but i'm very glad I you called it. this morning thank you very much luke right. music all right, that's Luke Mason, headmaster at the Lyceum. We're going to get out now so we can come back in with Senate candidate officially, J.D. Vance. He'll be joining us next on AM 1420 The Answer. This is AM 1420 The Answer. WHK W273 DG
0: Cleveland, a service of. of Democrats, please be aware you have now entered the place where political correctness goes to die. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420 The Answer.
3: Yeah, I better believe that. Every inch of that 936 we continue on AM 1420 The Answer So, uh, it, I believe it was late May, might have been very early June uh, when we spoke with uh, our next guest Uh, at which point his candidacy for the United States Senate seat being vacated by Rob Portman was just a rumor. But now we welcome J.D. Vance back onto the airwaves as a declared candidate, joining a very crowded primary field of Republicans looking to replace uh, Rhino Rob, as many of us see or saw him. So, J.D. Vance, welcome back to the airwaves, and welcome to the battle royal that is a GOP primary. How are you this morning?
2: (laughs) I'm good, Bob. How are you doing? Thanks for having me.
3: I'm um, great. So a week into the official campaign, you announced it last Thursday. Uh, you having fun yet?
2: Yeah, we're having a good time, and we you know we had almost 500 people show up to our launch event in Middletown, Ohio, which is where I, I grew up, and the energy was just really, really exciting, and gave me you know, just a, a big boost going into the campaign. Uh, the thing that I take a lot of, of confidence and hope in is that people seem to be responding to the message. Uh, they're you know they're getting really engaged. They're donating to our, our campaign, which you know, folks can learn how to get involved at JDVans.com, And so it just feels like things are, are moving in the right direction, but it's also a long slog. It's a marathon, not a sprint, and, you know, we'll see where we are in a year. But I think we're going to win this thing.
3: Why did you want to get into this? You know, you're very successful. You have, have have a best-selling book, a hillbilly elegy. You know, you kind of your your autobiography and your family's autobiography. It was turned into a very successful film, which I enjoyed uh, from Netflix. Uh, you're a venture capitalist. You got all kinds of great business opportunities. Why do you want to get into public office?
2: Well, because I think that our country's turning into a bit of a hellhole, and I don't want my kids to grow up in a terrible country. I want them to grow up in the same great country, the same country that afforded me so many opportunities. You know, The way that I I frame this problem, Bob, is that we have, on the one hand, a set of elites that have effectively plundered the middle class in this country. They've shipped a large number of manufacturing jobs off to China. They've allowed mass immigration, uh, which competes with middle class wages. Uh, They've allowed a drug crisis to blow up in our communities, and on the other hand, they're engaging in culture war against traditional American values. So if you complain about the border crisis, you're a racist. If you complain about the rise of China, you're just an idiot who doesn't understand trade policy. And so they basically made it impossible for people to speak their own minds about what's going on in this country. And I'm, I'm just sick of it. And I want somebody to actually call this out, to call it what it is, and to fight back against this. Uh, because if not, like I said, we're going to live in a, in, a, in a bad country in 30 years.
3: I just described uh, the outgoing Senator Rob Portman, who is leaving on his own accord. Of course, he is not running for re-election. Uh, he's won several times. He's been popular, but I called him Rhino Rob. That's my. I want a strong and true conservative in that Senate seat. Somebody who's going to be every bit of a fighter for the conservative agenda, which is the constitutional agenda. As a guy like Sherrod Brown holding the other seat is for the progressive Marxist agenda. Um, what is your view of Rob portman and how would you be different if you were to take his seat
2: well look I, I know Rob and I like him I think he's a more cautious guy than I am and he's, he's not as conservative as, as I am especially on sort of culture and social issues you know where, where where I really the reason I got into Republican politics and the reason I've always been a republican it started with me uh, with the abortion issue and that's that's always been where a lot of my focus is and so you know, I, I look, for example, at what's going on in the technology sector, and I see these companies censoring conservatives, obviously silencing the sitting president of the United States, but also a lot of its voters and a lot of our supporters. And I, I see basically a digital technology elite that's making it impossible for normal Americans to speak their mind about traditional American values. And So you know, where, where I'm going to be most aggressive and where I'm going to spend a lot of my time is just protecting those core American cultural values, right? The Second Amendment, obviously very important, but the First Amendment, the right to free speech, if you can't even speak your mind without fear of getting censored or losing your job, then you don't really have a First Amendment right. And I I think that's where I'm going to be most aggressive. And I will say, Bob, if you look at the way that I've been attacked, even just in the last couple of weeks since it became obvious I was going to enter the race, you know, Google has attacked me. They've been going back and forth with me over the last couple of days. I've been attacked by CNN I've been attacked aggressively by the Lincoln Project. I think in some ways it's, it's good to judge people by the enemies they've made along the way. And I think I've made all the right enemies if you're constitutional conservatives.
3: We are talking with uh, Senate candidate J.D. Vance. I want to talk about the First Amendment, particularly as it pertains to big tech in a moment, because you've been very hard on big tech. Uh, but but before we do that, let's get to the obvious issue here. This is, the, the Republican primary means you have to win Republican voters, and the Republican Party is the party of Donald Trump. You've got to win over sure. Trump voters. Every interview I've seen you do, you've had to answer this question, and I'm going to ask it also, maybe with a couple of follow-ups. And your critical comments of Donald Trump back in 2016, and indeed your vote, for evan McMullen, which many people saw and i see saw quite frankly as uh you know a vote against trump and thus a vote for hillary because evan McMullen was never going to win you've you've had to walk a lot of that back you've apparently deleted a bunch of tweets on that give me some depth here why did you? Were you so? Because the, the words and some of the some of the language was, was pretty harsh. It wasn't just I don't like Trump; I prefer someone else. It was pretty harsh. Why were you so? You know, uh, vociferously anti-Trump at the time, and what over four years makes you so very different right now?
2: Well, first of all, I've been very open about this fact, and I, I think it's it's important to say that so many of the people attacking me for criticisms that I made of Trump five years ago are frankly, I'm not saying this about you, Bob, but but a lot of these folks are phonies who said much worse things. And the the reason they're attacking me is they, they recognize that I'm actually a threat to the establishment. And that's what's going on here. So I've been incredibly open about the fact that I had a change of heart about President Trump. I didn't think that he was going to deliver on the court promises, but I never disagreed with the agenda. I never disagreed with the trade policy. I've always talked about that and supported the president's instincts there. I never disagreed with his immigration views. I've long been an immigration hawk. It's always been a core issue that I've cared about. I just saw this guy as a Democrat. who was never going to deliver on this stuff. And I thought, you know, and I was, again, I was wrong, but I thought he was never going to be able to deliver on these promises. And so in the process, he might discredit some of the ideas that I really cared about. Uh, but look, thinking people change their minds when the facts change, the facts changed, And I was behind the guy In the last election, I took a lot of flack for it. I was out there on TV defending the president's agenda years ago when, frankly, a lot of folks were not even sticking their head above ground. So I I think this, this whole line of attack is a little bit disingenuous from folks who recognize that I'm actually a threat to them.
3: You know, J.D., I, uh, I did not see any of the tweets that were, were allegedly deleted, um, but some of your opponents are posting things that they say they saw, and that is that not only did, did you disparage Donald Trump during that time in 2016, but that his supporters were racist and uneducated and godless. Did, did you tweet those things and then delete them? And, and if so, can you tell me what, what that was all
1: about?
2: Absolutely not. That, that, that's totally dishonest, again, from folks. I mean, look, it's politics. If you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. Yeah, uh, but but no, I, I absolutely did not say those things. And it, even if you look back in 2016, where I was not honestly on the Trump train, I was constantly defending the president's supporters because those are my people. You know, I grew up in a white working class community. I see these folks very much as you know, the community that I came from. And in interview after interview, I was beat up on the beat up by the left wing press for this. I said, look. This is not about racism. These people are not racist. They're good people. And I think, Bob, if you go back and look at the interviews, you'll see that even though I wasn't fully supportive of Trump early on, I was definitely supportive of his voters and recognized they had very, very legit problems. That's why they were supporting the guy.
3: Uh, and I'm glad to get you on the record, uh, as saying that. Like I said, I, I can't speak to it because I never saw any of the tweets, but this is what some of the, uh, your opponents are saying. And, and I'm talking about in the primary too, not just the CNN opponents you referred to a moment ago. But, uh, let me ask you this though, because, you know, you're, you're saying don't judge me. And I get it from, from what I said five years ago. Um, judge me on what I'm saying now. Yesterday in the Time Magazine interview that you did, it was just released. Uh, this is how you're quoted. Trump is the leader of this movement, and if I actually care about these people and the things I say I care about, I need to just suck it up and support him. Um, you know, with all due respect, that doesn't sound like full-throated support. I gotta suck it up. It's like maybe I'm still not really at all about the guy, but I have to support him if I want to advance the things that his people care about. Can you clarify that?
2: No, I don't think that's what it's about at all. It's that, look, I've had to be honest and public about the fact that I didn't support the president. That requires me to suck it up, right? I mean, I have to be honest about that fact. It's not sucking up the support of the president, certainly not sucking up the support of the president's voters. It's just being honest and direct about the fact that, look, I did change my mind. And when you're honest and direct about that, you know, you're going to take some flack for it. I think that flack is justified. I think it's worthwhile. But I think it's a necessary part of doing this the right way is to be honest with people.
3: So when you say you need to suck it up, you mean what I've said before, I've got to own it, and I've got to I admit that I've, I've changed yeah. my mind about it. Okay, because you the way it can read is I need to suck it up now and go ahead and support the guy. Don't really like him, but I, still, I have to do it in order for this campaign. That's how it can be read, so I wanted to get your full clarification on that um, because that's obviously very important. Uh, in that same article, uh, uh, the Time Magazine article, it talks about the hour-long meeting that you had with the president along with Peter Thiel. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us how that went?
2: yeah it was a very positive meeting i mean again i I think the president recognizes that i've been one of the best defenders of his agenda the last few years like i've been going out there taking a lot of flack for it taking a lot of heat for it but going toe-to-toe with people and saying look we do have to actually care about the american manufacturing sector we've actually got to care about american middle-class jobs and we've got to have a secure southern border so i think we talked a lot about public policy the president gave me a good ribbing about Some of the things that i said about him uh, back in 2016 but it was a very positive conversation i think we came away uh with with an understanding that the president cares about these issues i care about these issues and i think we're in a position where um you know where the president's going to let us as primary opponents fight this race out he's going to let us you know really prove that we're the best and that we're doing the right thing uh but 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 I, i think he's i think he's intrigued by what i'm doing and we'll see what happens
3: We are talking with uh, Senate candidate J.D. Vance, best-selling author. Um, Do you need the president's endorsement? No, hold on. Let me rephrase. Does whoever is going to win this primary need the president's endorsement to win it?
2: Um, I don't know that they need the president's endorsement, especially if the president doesn't endorse anybody. But whoever gets the president's endorsement is going to have a huge advantage. There's no question about it. And obviously I'd love to have the president's endorsement. I'm sure any of the candidates in the race would love to have it. Uh, but my instinct, and again, just from talking with the President very directly about it, is that he actually wants to see the candidates prove themselves. He wants to you know force us to show that we can get enthusiasm from voters that we can raise the money uh, that we can get excitement on our core message and then I think the President may enter the race or he may not, but i don 't think it 's going to happen anytime soon.
3: JD Vance, I've uh, seen and heard you say a few different times that you really want to go after the tech industry. A lot of people are very concerned. You mentioned it in one of your previous comments to me about the first amendment being sent uh and people's voices being censored uh and suppressed. Um let's deal with the Peter Thiel part of this. Is Peter Thiel, who is of course, you know, in your corner and who seeded a pack uh to support you, is he still on the board at Facebook or did he resign that position? Sure.
2: Yeah, he's he's on the board of Facebook, um, and, and he's, as you may know, Bob, one of the main advocates for not censoring conservatives in the technology industry. And he's, in fact, supported some of the biggest companies that have allowed conservatives to continue to have a platform. There aren't many, and if you look, most of them actually have um, his fingerprints on them, or at least many of those companies have his fingerprints on them. Uh, so I actually take it as a badge of honor that the one tech titan who has spoken about against Silicon Valley's power – has supported my campaign. And as you know, these campaigns are expensive. You've got to get people to buy into your message. You've got to get people to support what you believe in. And I don't come from family money. I can't rely on my, my husband or my wife or my dad to write me a $2 million check. So I've got to get out there and get people to buy into my message. And that's what I've been doing.
3: No, you're right. You, you need supporters. And, uh, you know, he, he is associated with big tech. Obviously, his ties to Zuckerberg and the board certainly are going to raise a lot of eyebrows. So you, it's good to hear you point out that he's not necessarily on Zuckerberg's side of these things. He's pushing back. What about the Eric Schmidt question? Uh, cause your venture capital firm, if I understand it right, was funded by him. Eric Schmidt, for those who don't know, don't, who don't know is the former CEO of Google. And Google is one of the worst offenders out there when it, when it comes to censorship, suppression, uh, altering search, uh, you know, their search engine algorithms to avoid conservative things that look good, etc. Is the Eric Schmidt issue an issue?
2: No, I don't think so. I mean, so, so first of all, I've been locked in a debate with Google over the past 24 hours. Uh, they've been going after me for my criticisms of their relationships with the CCP, uh, they 've been going after me for suggesting they may maybe 're memory holding my website, making it impossible for folks to reach my website and again, the reason Google is doing this is because Google recognizes that I understand how they do business and i 'm actually pushing back very substantively against their core business model Now Eric Schmidt is a guy who 's invested in things that I 've worked on in the past. Uh, there are dozens of people who 've invested in businesses that i've worked on uh, you know over over the years. I don't think that every person who's ever invested in a company that I've worked on uh, means that I endorse that person's views. It would be pretty impossible because the people I've worked with come from all walks of life and all political persuasions. You go into business with people because you're trying to make money, not because you buy into their politics.
3: Yeah, well, there's no doubt about that. That's what business is all about. Uh, J.D., just a couple more quickies. Uh, Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi is uh is uh, uh selecting putting together a January sixth select committee to investigate what happened uh in the breach at the Capitol on January sixth. And of course we know this is all over what happened on November third. What is your take on the November third election? Was it a fair and just result uh, that we got? Uh and what is your take on the idea of this January sixth commission that she is putting together? Is this just a third attempt to impeach Donald Trump, this time kind of uh, you know, metaphorically?
2: Yeah, so it's two two quick things on this. First, I think the election had some very serious unfairness and irregularities. The two that I always point to are, first of all, we know that in the state of Pennsylvania and other states, they changed the rules for how they were going to cast and count absentee ballots in a way that's frankly just inconsistent with both the U.S. and the state constitutions. We know that happened. It's a big problem. The, the second thing, the, the, the thing I almost worry the most about is that we know that there was information negative about the Biden people, the Biden family and their business dealing that was censored by the technology industry. I've seen evidence to suggest that if those stories had not been effectively deleted from the public memory by big tech, that Trump would have won a few million more votes. And that would have been the total margin in the election in the first place. So I think there are very obvious problems with what happened on November 3rd. I've, I've been very upfront and open about that. Uh, and I think it's important for us to continue to call this out because, again, if you don't have control over the flow of information in your society, you're not really a free society. If big tech controls what we know and what we learn. They can even influence the outcome of a presidential election, and I think, unfortunately, in 2020, they did. I think the January 6th, well, you know, commission or whatever they're calling it is just a total joke, and and I do think it's an effort to impeach Donald Trump a third time, but I think it's also an effort to impeach his supporters, and you have know, you have. Know, you know, 75-year-old grandmas who did nothing but walk into the Capitol peacefully after the Capitol Police opened the doors, who are sitting in jail without an effective trial, without no real legal remedy, and that's happening at the same time as our government is doing nothing about actually making sure that woman gets a fair and free trial. That's, to me, the bigger concern with what happened on January 6th, Yeah, there were some bad actors. Yeah, there were clearly some people who were doing some bad things. But the idea that this was an insurrection to overthrow the government, it's just ridiculous. And I think it's being used as a pretext to effectively persecute an entire political movement in this country.
3: Yeah, no, I completely agree. And by the way, when you pointed to Big Tech and their role in covering up that information prior to the election that could have garnered Trump more votes, I think you're half right. The other half was the mainstream media. In that Time article, you say when you stop trusting the press uh, in the same way it has a transformative effect on the way you see Donald Trump and the movement. Do you trust the press or maybe better ask, last question of the day, uh, Donald Trump used to say, and still does, but when he was president, he said that the mainstream media is the enemy of the people. Is he right?
2: I think he is, and there are some good journalists out there, but I think many, many of our mainstream reporters are engaged in active propaganda propaganda against the conservative movement. Let me me just give one example to harken back to 2016. So you may remember the famous quotes where if you trusted the mainstream press, and at the time I sort of took what they said at face value, Donald Trump said that all Mexicans were rapists. Criminals, right? That was the that was the accusation. If you actually look at what Donald Trump said in his announcement speech in 2016, what he actually said was the Mexican government, when they're sending people across the southern border, they're not sending their best people. Some of them are rapists, some of them are criminals, some of them are good people. It's the famous quote, right? Yep. So if you actually look at the substance of what Trump was saying, sometimes you realize that it was totally inconsistent with the media narrative that was being sold. And when you recognize that fact, I mean, that's that's a transformational recognition. I, I know for me personally, but also for a lot of people, when you can't trust what the press says, then you have to figure this stuff out for yourself. And unfortunately... We also have social media, which is controlling the flow of information. Getting the truth is really hard, but patriots have to do that work, because otherwise we're going to lose the country if we don't know what's actually going on.
3: You're right. People have to do their homework. They have to do their legwork to really get to the bottom of it, because you cannot trust the mainstream media. And as you say, the flow of information via big tech. J.D. Vance has joined the battle. It is going to be a battle royal, no question about it. J.D., thank you for the time today. Thanks for answering the tough questions. I appreciate it. We'll talk again. Thanks, Bob. Alright, that's J.D. Vance. Uh, It's 9.56. We're way late. I'll be back after the news. Okay, it's uh, 9.59. I've only got about 30 seconds here to tell you that if you missed the J.D. Vance interview, it will be posted very shortly at whkradio.com. Just go to the podcast tab at the top and look for Bob France Authority. And you can listen to that then. And also, if you want to react to the J.D. Vance interview, tell me where you where you think he falls on your list of of uh, choices for the uh, uh, Senate seat being vacated by Rob Portman. You can do that at ten thirty five. Because coming up next at ten ten is our guest, Doctor Everett Piper. Stay right here on AM.